You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Good morning. Hey, do me a favor. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, and uh, we're going to have a great time together. I, I was thinking today as I woke up and I saw that there was actually some cloud cover beyond the smoke uh, and the ash that's been raining down, I noticed outside our building today, uh, and just praying to God, God, we... Wow, we need rain. We need rain, not just to stop fires. We need your rain in our lives. I think our state is reflecting the nature of our culture right now, that we are in a drought spiritually, that we have things that are consuming us like fire, uh, that we are in a nation that exalts evil and that uh, it just pushes God out. And I, I think our state is simply reflecting the culture in which we live. And, and so I was praying, God, bring, bring your rain. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know, that's one of those things. We couldn't take an offering today and send it to the government and make rain happen, could we? You can't have, you can't have blue gloves on football players and do, you know, pray for rain kind of thing. I mean, the only thing we can do is we, we can't make it rain. It's not a human ability. It's ability that God has to answer for us. We don't put our hope in an El Nino. We put our hope in a God who would create an El Nino or, or more to bring rain to our land. We project that there is hope coming, but we don't know. What if God would say that we would be in a three-year drought, a five-year drought? A seven-year drought. Right now, in all honesty, I think in many parts of our nation, we are up against a wall. I think in parts of our state, we are up against a wall. And when we look at the wall, it's too big. You and I can't face it. You and I can't change that wall. It's just too big. It's beyond us. So what do you do in your life when you face a wall that's too big for you? What does that look like? The Hebrew people have been in bondage. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. That was just unchanged. They were the least of the least kind of people. They, they formerly were welcome guests, but they had since become slaves. And so for 400 years, they had been slaves in Egypt. And God miraculously moves them out of Egypt, frees them from their bondage, and they get out in the desert, and they're moving toward the promised land that they were a people without a land that God was going to now give them a land. And so they go up toward the, the city of Jericho, the, the promised land, and they send spies across the river to begin investigating the land. And as they investigate the land, they say, it's too big. The people are too big. The produce is too big. It's too great for us. There's no way we can do it. And there were two people, two of those spies, who said, God can do it. And one of them was Joshua, who this book is about. The other one was Caleb. And they went across and they looked and they said, we can do it. But the other 10, they said, there's no way. And the majority of the people followed the majority of the spies, well, God heard their complaining, and so he sent them not to take the land, but to wander around the desert for 40 years until that, that unbelieving, complaining generation had died. I, I don't know. I don't know why it is that church people complain, but they do. I mean, of all people in the world 
who should not complain, all people in the world who should just say, hey, we put our trust, our hope in God, all people in the world who look ahead and say God is great and God is good, the people in the world who should not complain are church people. But we complain, don't we? And it was that way with the Israelite people, and God sent them to wander in the wilderness until that unbelieving, complaining generation had died off, saying, you will never see the land that I will give you. So 400 years in slavery, 40 years wandering in the desert. So 440 years now, they are going into the land. They now cross the Jordan River, and God does it in a miraculous way that we'll look at a little bit later. But God gets them across a river that was at flood stage. And they walk across on dry land and get on the other side. And they come to the gateway city that would, if they can get beyond this one city, this fortress, it would open up to them the rest of the land that they could run conquest on it and begin to take the land as their own. But they had to get by Jericho, and Jericho was a formidable city. If you're taking notes today, you need to understand this, that this is a true life story. It is a historically accurate story. When we say story, we don't mean like made-up story. We don't mean like the story of, you know, something that just is legend. No, this is actually a historically accurate version in the Bible. I've been to Jericho. I've seen some of the rebuilt things that the Jewish people rebuilt. A tower of David that you can see all the footings for it back in the day. This is very, very real. But you need to understand that when we look back at this, when we look back to say, what did God do in history? And what could God do right now in my life? We look back at honest, historical, accurate stories in history to draw courage for the days ahead. And you need to understand if you're taking notes today, number one, that this is a story of victory against all odds. All the odds were against the Jewish people. They were without a land. They had wandered in the desert for years. This was a fortified, well-trained armory of a city. This was a rich city, lots of gold, lots of silver, lots of possessions. It was a formidable place. And not only that, but this was a double-walled city. Many people don't realize it. I'll put up a graphic here on the screen behind me that this is the double walls of Jericho, that below it there was a, a foundation, a, ret a retaining wall. And then above it was a large, large, large wall. And yeah, right there, you see this large, the lower city wall was huge. And it was above this retaining wall. Then there was a sloped earthen embankment and then there was an upper city wall. Now you say, okay, these are walls, but what you need to realize is that these walls were so thick that people had their houses in them. That people lived in the wall. The wall was part of the structure of the city. That's what kind of walls they were, and it was a double-walled city. Now, some of you are saying, well, Dave, thanks for this story, but in my life, um, I don't really attack cities. I, I just haven't done it. I don't really go up against cities. Uh, I don't have to go to work and try to attack the walls. Uh, but some of you have faced walls in your life. I mean, if you think back for a minute, how many of you thought you might get the medical advice you needed when they said, well, first you have to go see your primary physician, and then you got to go through these things, and then you can see the specialist, right? What happened right there? You just faced a double wall. 
That's what happened. You got to get pre-approved by your HMO, then to your private, you know, you got to go with all these things. You're facing a double wall. Some of you, when you think back, you thought, I, I want to ask that girl out. And, and you thought, oh, I got to get beyond my fears. I got to get the courage. And maybe as a teenager or as a young adult, you asked that person out. And then you finally asked her, then you found out, whoa, not only do I need to ask her out, maybe get her to agree, but I, I've got to meet her dad and win him over. You've just faced a double wall in your life. You know what that's like. You just see it right there. Some of our problems are far more real, though, aren't they? They're far more real. And what you thought was actually going to be a solution to your problem ended up being like a double wall. You, you found out that oh, I just began to peel it back and there was more there. This problem is bigger. I thought I could just basically begin to attack that wall. Maybe at your house, you thought, I want to replace some siding on the outside of my house. And you began to peel back that siding because you just wanted an update on your house. And as you peeled back that wall, you're against the wall. You're tearing down a wall. As you got in there, you saw that you had dry rot. And you saw that you had plumbing problems. And you thought that you saw that you had electrical problems in that wall. So you're actually in a wall, but you're finding yourself up against a wall because that home construction project has just gotten a lot bigger and it might even be beyond your abilities. And now you got to hire somebody out, right? You're up against a wall. You're in a wall, but it is against the odds that are there for you. It might be that, that you see your son or daughter, maybe they're a teenager, and you see the tears or the concern in their eyes, and, and you hear what they're concerned about, and you think, this is easy. It's not a big deal that you think, you know, those tears are representative of some insignificant problem, and you think, everybody goes through this. You'll be fine. You can be on it. But the truth is, to your teenager, it's a double-walled impossibility, and they're just revealing in their heart their fear, their intimidation, their fear of the unknown. They're up against a wall in their heart. Maybe for some of you, you you've sinned. And you want to do what our culture does. You want to say, my sin is a mistake, which means it's like an error in judgment. Like, I just accidentally fell into that. I just accidentally, that happened in my life. I didn't really mean it. And, and you want to say it's like childishness. Like, a child just doesn't know. They, they just did that because they don't know. And you want to say, oh, well, my sin's kind of like an I don't know. I just didn't know. My bad, right? But as you begin to unpack that wall, you find out that it's not childishness in your life it's actually foolishness that there's a character flaw on the inside that's revealing itself on the outside because of the decisions you and I make it's not childishness it's not naivety it's sin in need of a savior you might find yourself up against a wall that medical advice you got has turned out to only be a fraction of the solutions offered you and you're still up against a medical condition. And you say to yourself, will this ever end? I am up against wall after wall after wall after wall and it is an impossible situation. See, some of you in your life, the problem you walked in here today, it not only requires God's assistance, it's absolutely impossible to be solved without it. It's like, it's like basically saying, we're going to make it rain. You just know you can't. And so you got to come to God. It not only requires God's assistance, it's absolutely impossible if you don't have God's assistance. You were up against a wall. And then we look back at the Bible. 
And we find out that we're not alone, that there were lots of other people in the Bible who were up against a wall, an impossible situation, but against all odds, God answered that situation. You look back at Abraham and Sarah. Abraham has been promised by God that he will be a great nation, that they'll be, they'll be, you have children as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And believe me, I've been to the seashore, there's a lot of sand. Numerous, more numerous than all those people. You're going to be a great nation. And, and Abraham's 80 years old. Then he's 81 years old. Then 85 years old, still no kids. 90 years old. 95 years old. He's 100 years old, and now his wife Sarah is 90. And against all odds, they have a promised child by God. Against all odds. Then you look and you see in the Bible, you see Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his own brothers. Then he was sold into slavery from one place into Egypt to a prison. But he was elevated against all odds. Everything was against him. He was a foreigner. He was in a high prison. And he was elevated out of that to be second in command of all Egypt. And he began to reach back and save his brothers who were dying of famine in a drought nation of Israel who came to Egypt to buy food because there was no food left in the land. And against all odds, God rescued Joseph. We looked at Gideon a few weeks ago. He was fighting against the Midianites. Now, let me tell you that the lowest number we have of how many Midianites were coming against them, the smallest number we have is 135,000 Midianites. And God tells Gideon to go fight them and whittles his numbers down to 300 men. And God intervenes, and by the power of God, they rout the Midianites. And against all odds, God rescues them when they were up against a wall. You look at David. He's a shepherd boy, but he's elevated. He goes to fight Goliath with nothing but a a sling in his hand and five smooth stones. And he whips that stone, and he knocks it right into, into Goliath's head and kills him instantly, and he falls, and they rout the Philistines, the enemies of the living God who are against them. And against all odds, the most unlikely person was elevated and pushed through when they were up against a wall. We looked at Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego being cast into the fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to the gods of the culture. And they were thrown into the fire. And in that moment, the fourth man shows up. And God walks with them, and the people who threw them in are burned up, but they're not, and they walk out of the fire, and God rescues them against all odds. They walk through the fiery furnace and are rescued. Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel who continued to pray when they outlawed prayer. And he gets grabbed, he gets thrown into a den full of hungry lions, and he shouldn't even have hit the floor, they were so hungry, these lions. And he goes down in there, and God shuts the lion's mouths Against all odds, the king comes back the next day, Daniel, could it be possible against all odds that you could have survived this? And Daniel gives glory to God who had shut the lion's mouths. Later they take his accusers, throw them in there. They don't even hit the floor. The lions eat them almost immediately. They catch them. They just play catch with the people falling in. Peter walked out of a secured prison against all odds in Acts chapter 12. Lazarus gets raised from the dead in John chapter 11 against all odds. And now if you open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, it says this, 
Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. And then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. Now, let me pause right there. I, I need to describe for you for a moment what the Ark of the Covenant meant to the people of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant, which we've got a replica right over here today, the Ark of the Covenant was a golden box, and it has nothing to do with Indiana Jones. <laughs> but it was a golden box representing the presence of the living God with the people of God. And so you have this amazing, you know, uh, replica here, and you, you have this thing, this golden box, and these are, are cher uh, seraphim whose um, wings are extended out, showing the presence of God, and God would dwell. They would say God would dwell like right here. And it was the living presence of God. So as they go into battle, they've got a procession, but what they carry with them is the presence of God. They're going into battle not alone, but they're going into battle, and God's having them go into battle. He doesn't say, hey, leave that really expensive box back at, you know, safety, back, you know, behind enemy lines. He says, don't take it there. You know, leave it way back at headquarters. No, he's saying, you carry it out. And so they, they carry the Ark of the Covenant out in front of the armies as they march around the city because it was the presence of God among the people of Israel. In the New Testament, you and I have the presence of a living God in us. That when you say yes to Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, you put your faith in Christ. God gives you his Holy Spirit. And so now you and I, we are walking worship services. We have the presence of God. So any wall that we come up against, any wall that we face in our life, any double walled experience that you and I have, we walk not just by ourselves and in our own powers and our own abilities, but with the presence of the living God. Look with me at verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city, and with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. Next slide, thanks. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carried, now listen, the seven trumpets. You hear the, the number seven in here a lot? Watch the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, and the army returned to the camp, spent the night there. So on the second day, they marched around the, camp, uh, the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the what day? Seventh day. They got up at daybreak and marched around the city. How many times? Seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times, right? The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city of the city, and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. 
Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. And you and I might right there at the end of your Bible write, against all odds. Against all odds. They did a very strange thing that God instructed them to do, but against all odds, without having to lift their sword, the walls fell down. And after the walls fell down, they lifted their sword and did the work and walked through that city. So not only is this a story of victory against all odds, this is a story of promise against all fears. A story of promise against all fears. Think about it. You and I, when you and I fear, we fear the unknown, right? And typically we fear the unknown in the future. And how many of us have gone through a situation in your life where you feared something in the future, but then you got through it and you turned around and looked and we would say hindsight is 2020, right? We see clearly once we're beyond it. Once we're beyond it, then we can see clearly. And we would look back and go, oh, I shouldn't have feared quite so much because having gotten through it, I look back and, well, wasn't as bad as I thought, right? That's what normal people do. That's what humans do. But the people of God need to begin to look at foresight as 2020. Foresight, when you can't see how it all turns out, when you can't see how it ends up, when you walk up to a city and there's a double-walled problem in front of you, something that is impossible for you to get through without the intervention of God, when you come up before that, you and I need to have foresight that God is a God of promise against all our fears. Our fears tell us to worry. Our fears tell us that it's too big for us. Our fears say that this will never happen. Our fears make us make agreements with our heart that make you and I live defeated before we ever get up to the wall and we'll never shout because we cower in fear. Why is fear such a big issue? Why would God realize that humans operate that way? And what encouragement would God give when you and I are afraid? Flipping your Bibles back, to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1, begin with verse 5. Flip all the way back. If you've got a scroll there in your uh, tablet or your smartphone, do that. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. God is speaking. He says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. He's speaking to Joshua. Moses has died. He's now speaking to Joshua. He says this, as I was with Moses so will I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be very strong. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. 
then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Okay, I don't know about you, but if you have the ability to highlight, or you have the ability to underline, you need to underline or highlight each time God says, be strong and courageous. Because Joshua is not unlike you and me. I mean, let me rewind. Joshua was the one who was fearless in his youth. We can do this. We can go. We can take the land. It was the rest of the people who were afraid. Fast forward 40 years. What happens to you and I when life hits? What happens to the youthful enthusiasm that plus 40 years some of us have lost faith because of life? Some of us have stopped believing because of life experience. So what is God telling Joshua who's 40 years removed from being about a 40-year-old when he took the land before. He's telling him, listen, be strong and courageous. If you realize here, Joshua is one of the oldest men in the camp because all the previous generations have died, but he's one of the previous generations who's still alive. Here's the old guy with a bunch of young people. And God's telling him three times, be strong and courageous. What is God telling you today? to be strong and courageous. Three times he tells him that. So God has already given him some foresight, right? Be strong and courageous. You're going to take the land. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. And then God says to him, let's look again at Joshua chapter 6. So flip back there to the main story. He says this in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. You probably looked over this, but this is what it says. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, listen, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Okay, nothing's happened yet. Nothing's happened. They've not even walked around the city once. God is telling him, listen, I've already done the work. I'm giving you foresight. As a believer in Christ, you need to have the faith that says God will deliver. I don't know how. It's impossible on my own strength. There's no way I can get around this. But God is telling me in my older age now that I need to still believe. I need to have as a believer in Christ that he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He has not orphaned me. He has not given up on me. And God is saying, look, I've already done it. I've already delivered it into your hands along with this king and fighting men. And yet some of us, our fear begins to magnify and, and then we run to everybody around us, don't we? Because we're afraid. We run to them before we sometimes even run to the presence of the living God who's with us. What about this in verse 20, or chapter 23, verse 4 of the book of Psalm? Even though I walk through the darkest valley or in some texts the, the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are what? With me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
As Christians, when you and I come up against a wall in our life that we can't get beyond, when you and I come up against something that's too big, in fact, not only that, if we were to tear down the first wall, we would suddenly realize it's a false summit. There's another summit. There's another wall. There's something behind it. Will this ever be realized? When we come up against something that's impossible for us, we begin to say there is a God with us who can do all things. See, the people of Israel had a choice. They could either drown in fear or they could dance in freedom. That was their choice. Nothing's happened yet. We're going to listen now. God didn't tell all of them. He told Joshua. So Joshua comes and tells the people. They start hearing the plan. And they begin to go, okay, nothing's happened yet. But we're going to follow Joshua because we believe his faith. But believe me, I think there are plenty of people there who might complain. There are plenty of people there who might doubt. There are plenty of people there who had to make a choice. We'll either drown in fear or we'll dance in freedom. How many of you and I look ahead in fear, but when we look back and have hindsight, we realize he never left us, he never forsook us. We might have thought we were alone, but in hindsight, we realized God carried us through. We may look back and we say, God was with us. But now as I look ahead, I'm afraid again. I'm afraid all of a sudden. I fear. You either drown in fear or dance in freedom. So not only is this a story of a double, uh, story of a victory against all odds, a story of promise against all fears, but third, it's a story of perspective against all foes. A perspective against all foes. I don't know what the foes in your life look like. Sometimes they're people, sometimes they're circumstances, sometimes they're health. There are many, many ways that you and I come up against walls in our life, whatever that opposition is, whatever that impossibility is. But this is a story that gives us perspective of who God is in light of who our foes are. See, the focus, if you're taking notes today, the focus is the greatness of God, not the size of your problem. That's what the focus is. God barely gave them a hand in this except to march around and to wait and to see, wait on the Lord, see what God's going to do, that he can remove what seems to be an impossible wall. And they're waiting on him. I'll tell you what, when you focus on the greatness of God versus the size of your problem, you begin to think, my problem is huge, but then you begin to think about how huge God is and and who God is and how he's eternal and we're mortal and we only have a very short lifespan, but he's eternal and he's the creator of everything and we can't hardly create much with our hands. When we begin to see the greatness of God in light of the size of our problem, our problem begins to shrink. This week in your community groups, You're going to unpack that idea entirely. You're going to go way deeper on that idea in your community groups this week. And if you're not in a community group, if you're already meeting one, great, you do your normal thing. But if you're not in one, if you're unconnected, I'm asking you to come here on Wednesday nights the next seven weeks. And some of you have to make decisions. Do we do what we're normally doing on Wednesday nights or do we come here? What I want to do is encourage you. This may be a seven-week series in your life where God wants to unpack some things in your heart and let you unpack. You and I need some reminder during the week that the greatness of God is bigger than the size of our problem. Let me tell you, if you could only see the walls you face, then you'll despair. 
if you can't see the greatness of God, if you don't meditate on the greatness of God, if you don't think about the greatness of God, if you never consider the greatness of God, if you only look at the size of your problem, you will despair. If God's promises are entirely dependent on you and your abilities, we're going to despair, aren't we? If the power of, of fixing your marriage is all up to you, then you will absolutely despair. In fact, you, you will look at some of you in this room, you're like, I don't even like him or her. I don't even, I, I don't even want to do anything nice. I don't even want to care. I don't even, I don't, I can't even, like, it almost makes me sick to my stomach. Like, I can't even want to be in the same room with that person because of where your marriage might be. And you're like, it'll never get fixed. And I got all sorts of counselors all around me telling me all sorts of other things. And you basically just go, there is no way. It's an absolutely impossible situation. And you will despair. What happens then? Then you and I begin to fight the enemy that's not the enemy. And you and I become prayerless in our life. Oh, we're marching around. We're wandering in the desert for another 40 years. We're complaining. We don't see the power of God. We're an unbelieving generation. When you look at the size of your problems in light to the greatness of God, then you have hope but you begin to despair. God, if it's up to me, I would have done it already. God, if there was a way I could fix it, I would do it already. But this is beyond me. You've got to do this. If the power to fix your health was on you, or if it's all on you, you're going to despair because it won't work, will it? If the power to change your kids was all up to you, you might despair. Because the power of the living God needs to step into that situation. If the power to overcome addiction is on your good intentions, I'm just going to work at this harder. I'm just going to try this harder. If you're not getting beyond your hurts and your habits and your hangups, then you're going to live out desperate despair. And you're going to drag everybody that you interact with into desperate despair and desperate despairing circumstances with you. But when you look at the size of your addiction, the size of your problem, but you look at the greatness of the size of God, He's got to step in. He's got to act. Then we have hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, we got to look again and go, the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. If it's up to you, you would say, God, get away from me. I despair, right? But now we say, amen, God, thank you. Because of Christ, you will never leave me and forsake me. Christ left the disciples. He had to go. Why? So the counselor, God's Holy Spirit, would be with us always. It's yes in Christ. How about this? 2 Corinthians, same book, a little bit later, chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so Go ahead, put that back up, thanks. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I, I need to grow more. I'm not sure. I mean, I mean, maybe I need to be a better person. Maybe I need to be a, a better Christian, and then I can serve. Then I can, I can do things that you want me to, God. Maybe, maybe I'm just not ready. And this verse is saying that you, in all things, at all times, having all you need, will abound in every good work. Why? Because God is able to bless you abundantly. All of God's promises become yes in Christ. Bless you abundantly because you're a good person? No. Bless you abundantly because of Christ. 
And so we say, amen, thank you, God, we give you glory. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power, our, your, your power? No, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. You say, God, I, I need more. I, I can't get beyond this thing. The walls are too big. My sin is too big. My, my, you know, my uh, view of myself is too small. I just, God, I can't do this. God's saying, you have everything you need. And some of you come to church and you're like, God, I just need more. I need more of you. And the, everything you have, everything you need is yes in Christ in your life. His divine power has given us, that's an already, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down, that God is greater than everything. You can do the greater than symbol. Make sure you don't do it backwards. Let me ask you right now, what wall are you facing? What double wall are you facing? What wall have you given up on? What wall have you walked away from and wandered back into the desert? What wall are you facing in your life? God is greater than everything. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes? For some of you in this room, Without Christ in your life, without believing in his sacrifice, without giving yourself to him, you, don't, you do not have hope. You don't have a relationship with God, so you don't have all that you need. You've never said yes to Christ. At this point in your life, it's all up to you, and you will live out of desperate circumstances. But for many of you in this room, you've given your life to Christ. At some point, you said yes to Jesus. At some point in your life, you said, I surrender myself to you. At some point in your life, you said, God, I give you me. If you've done that, just raise your hand anywhere around the room. At some point in your life, you say, God, I give you me. Hands up all over the place. Yes, all over the place. But for some of you, you can put them down. For some of you in the room, you just haven't done that yet. And the starting place is saying yes to Christ. It's a surrender. God, I'm fearful. God, I am, I'm strong, but I'm not eternal strong. I'm not, I'm mortal still. I would still be lost in my sin. And if today you'd like to say yes to Jesus, to surrender your life like so many of these others who've already done that, then you just pray a prayer right where you're seated after me like this as we close the drapes, as we go to a time just to reflect. If that's you today, you just pray right in your chair, right where you sit, that this is a holy appointment with God. It's a moment for you to talk to the living God. And you just quietly, right in your chair, you just say this, Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life, make me a new creation. Forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross. You were buried in the grave. And against all odds, you rose to new life, that you were God. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. If you just prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand up? Today is that day that you made that decision. Anywhere around the room. We've got some friends, just keep your hand up. We've got some friends who'd like to give you some information about the decision that you've made here today. Just hold your hand up high, they'll find you. It's just information for you. Awesome. Believers in the room, some of you are sitting there today. I know we've been praying for a little bit, but in the spirit of prayer, some of you are, are even having trouble choosing to believe that 
that God could step into that problem. Like right now, the, 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 the pressure to disbelieve God's power is right there with you. And I want you just for a minute, believers in the room, to reject that power. I want you to take a stand against that and say, no, 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 no. I'm looking at actual evidence of the proof of the living God and his power. I want you to stand against that thought, stand against that temptation, stand against that. And I want you today to say, Jesus, would you, against all odds, do the impossible and step into my situation and grow me in the process? Believers in the room, you pray that now. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.